0: Hello, and welcome to the One Football Women's Podcast. After our excursion down under last week, we're back with a focus on the WSL, though we're sure some Australians are sure to crop up. Joining me is Jessie Parker-Humphreys. Jessie, how's it going?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm alright, thank you. There's only one place, really, to start. You were at King's Meadow on Friday as Chelsea and Arsenal played out a proper end-to-end 0-0 draw and I <laughs> wanted to ask if you've got your breath back.
1: Yeah, just about. I think like, especially with those ridiculous eight minutes of extra time, no idea where they came from. I kinda left the ground being like, I don't really understand like entirely what I've seen. But you know, I've had a couple of days now to digest. I've watched some of the highlights, so I've got a you know bird's eye view rather than a pitch side view, which is always helpful as well to try and figure out what's going on. I was at the opposite end to when there was like the goal mouth scramble, and I was like, no idea what's happened there, but no one's cheering, so it can't have crossed the line. Uh so yeah, yeah, got some perspective on it now.
0: After the FA Cup final, were you surprised at how well Arsenal came into this game? I think you know, Chelsea had the upper hand for most of the second half. But the first half it felt like Arsenal would seem in the ascendancy.
1: Yeah, I was well, I was a bit surprised, but I also kind of suspected that Arsenal with you know, two kind of upgraded centre. probably gonna deal a bit better with with Chelsea's kind of um they don't like they weren't really like pressing, but you know, Chelsea's I guess I'm gonna say like more intensity um and willingness to try and turn over the ball. Um, but I also felt like Chelsea were maybe more willing to sit back too. I think that was Chelsea's big lesson from playing Arsenal the first time this season was was to kind of not give them that space in behind to to run in, not to press too high, not to try and force them back to their goal. And I think both teams kind of took that same approach, um, especially early on as they were kind of trying to figure each other out. Um, Arsenal were definitely in this tendency though. They did They were really, really good at basically shutting down Chelsea's midfield so they were just letting Chelsea pass the ball around the back but there was like zero way for Chelsea to build attacks that being said I didn't think Arsenal were then that good though at turning those kind of turnovers those possession regains into um, really like good proper opportunities Um, you know for all the pressure they had in the first half really it's um, Miedemar hitting the post which I think actually comes from a corner mm-hmm. um, and maybe Stina Blackstenius' header at the end of the first half um, were like the only big moments where, where I felt like oh, like they were big big opportunities.
0: You mentioned obviously Stina Blackstenius' header there, then we came into the second half, we had Chelsea on the up Chelsea really dominated most of the second half Arsenal obviously lost Rafaela to injury as well at some point and why why do you think that changed the game changed as as it went on do you think there was almost the impact of both teams really not wanting to lose meant each of them gave the other one a chance to win
1: yeah it's interesting i i definitely think there maybe was that element i also think you know just that hayes and idavel are two clever managers who've now played each other twice and this felt really like a chess game as in they'd both seen each other's moves to like kind of devastating effects when you look at the first WSL game and then the FA Cup final so then both of them were kind of like taking a little bit more conservatism but were also I think ready to like make those adjustments in game and from a Chelsea perspective at least I felt like um the kind of very flat four four two with Kirby on the right wing. That was something that was just like really not helping them in in the first half. But towards the end of the first half, you started to see Kirby beginning to drift a bit more centrally, harder began to peel a bit more back to support Guru Raiten, uh on the left, and then you know Kerr would come out a a bit further right, and she really loves that right channel, and it just felt like. Um, they were beginning to find the kind of fluidity that, that we've seen them have when they've played as a three inside this maybe more rigid formation, which kind of designated Harder and Kerr as a front two with Kirby as a more traditional right winger. And it didn't feel like until they started to to find those spaces in the formation that Chelsea really had much impetus going forward. But I think as that happened, Arsenal started to to kind of struggle to to deal with that as as they found those spaces that they could pick up.
0: Yeah, I think there was there were signs of that. The think of the lovely flicked Sam Kerr pass around the corner for Frank Kirby that she almost made at the end of the first half. So those warning signs had started to appear. Do you think Chelsea also were just working around this sort of put together midfield that just isn't usually the team's midfield as well?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, as much as I think Sophie Ingall and Aaron Cuthbert are um really great players and actually i think have really suited kind of this city then arsenal runner games that chelsea have had neither of them have that kind of creativity that you see from like melanie leupold or as we saw from g so young when she came on later in the game i think to you know to start um you know finding different passes and looking for space and, and being able to maybe take that step forward both cuthbert and ingle i think well you know i know cuthbert like it is an attacker ostensibly but she's a lot more of a kind of you know carry the ball forward um player I think a lot someone who's a lot more like press resistant maybe than than a G or a Melanie Loipotz but doesn't necessarily have the same vision that you'd associate with those players so I definitely think the addition of G really really helps out Chelsea and I just think generally like also Chelsea's current defense is very defensive um you know missing Magda Ericsson it's kind of been amazing how Seamlessly, and Nouwen's like slotted in, but she's a very, very right-footed player. Um, and you can really see it from Chelsea's distribution that they're playing like two right-footed centre-backs and they don't normally do that. Um, and I think that's something that was really hindering Chelsea, especially in the first half, when they were unable to kind of get the ball out of defence beyond the midfield, um, because they just didn't have that same kind of variety in, in possession that they would normally have. Um, but I think as the game went on, And kind of both teams tired as well. You naturally saw the kind of space opening up a bit more and it didn't, so that kind of thing didn't matter so much when Chelsea were in possession.
0: The game opened up and Chelsea, I I don't know how Chelsea didn't score in the sort of middle of the second half, I guess. Sam Kerr in particular had that great chance that she just sort of missed the ball completely and it fell to Frank Herbie and then there was a great block. Arsenal obviously had their chances as well. The late set pieces, it felt like the ball was (laughs) cleared right off the line three times in the space of about 30 seconds. And then Chelsea obviously had another goal-mouth scramble at the end. How did this end 0-0? And did you walk away from the ground thinking, how did that one chance not go in? Was there one that you thought that should have been it?
1: I think the Sam Kerr one. Well, there's two Sam Kerr ones. I think the Sam Kerr one where she air kicks the ball, I was mm. that was really how it did not go in. Because also, I mean, I think you can see how surprised Fran Kirby was by the way she deals with the ball when it gets to her. <laughs> yep. Because I think if you expect Sam to, to miss that, you could hit it, Fran could have hit it first time potentially. But she's almost like so confused as well that it's ended up at her feet that she takes too long to get it sorted out. And that's what allows, I think it's Rafaela to make the block. Um, But yeah, that opportunity, I was really like, oh, like, if the ball just falls slightly differently, like Fran scores, I think in that moment, even if Sam has missed. Um, And the other was, was right at the end was Sam's header, um, which I think comes off an Arsenal player and just goes into Zinsberger's arms. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, again, it just felt like Kerr didn't connect with it quite properly, but normally like that's the kind of chance that I've seen her score for Chelsea so many times. Um, I'd have really expected her to bury. It just feels like Kerr at the moment, you know, she went to the Asian cup she broke the Australian goal scoring record, but then in that game against Korea, she had loads of chances. She couldn't really put any of them away. And it just feels like she's on one of those runs at the moment where nothing's quite clicking. And you know in a couple of weeks' time it will click again and she'll score all of those opportunities. Do you know it, what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah.
0: Somebody will pay for it in a really big way. Exactly. In, yeah. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. Um but she just <laughs> goes through she these periods. Will
1: probably... Yeah, she just goes through these periods sometimes, I think, you know, and we saw it when she first got to Chelsea, like, and, and also, like, I do think she's, you know, she's knackered as well still, like, you know, she's literally just like come back from a massive tournament in India, which was also a big emotional disappointment for Australia to yeah. get knocked out when they did. So, you know, I I just think it's kind of one of those things, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I um, it's just not, like, just Chelsea aren't in great goal-scoring form at the moment. Um, from an Arsenal perspective, yeah, that goal mouth scramble was, like, crazy. Um, I was talking to uh, Alexa Bassetta about it yesterday, and she was just saying, like, because um, she was sat at that end, that it's just mad, like, how many bodies Chelsea managed to put behind the ball when, like, those kind of things come in. Because it was, like, Mily Bright and Pernille are both, like, heading things off the line. Yep um but I think it just shows you how to Chelsea were like to be like we will not lose um that's what was strange about the end of this game like because from like 70 minutes or so it really felt like Chelsea went into this mode of like we will not lose like we're just gonna kind of keep control of the game like we're not gonna like carry on pushing forward um we've had opportunities in second half they haven't happened okay whatever but then as soon as they like said there was eight minutes of added time it was suddenly as if like both teams were like Wait, we could win this. There's like loads <laughs> of time here still. And then suddenly everything went like totally crazy again.
0: Yeah, I think these these top of the table games, especially or, you know, cup finals and things like that, you so often get teams trying to balance the idea that winning would be amazing and losing would be really, really bad. And it, I mean, in a knockout competition, it's a little bit different because somebody has to to go through or to win at the end. But in the league it does become a bit just don't lose. But I had the exact same feeling watching the game. Usually that makes games quite boring and really cagey. It didn't feel like this at all. It felt like at different points in the during the night that Arsenal and Chelsea stopped thinking we can't lose this one and started thinking it would be huge if we won this. And they were both trying to fight that and balance that the entire evening, which is meant you know a wave of Arsenal pressure a wave of Chelsea pressure and like you're saying it, the game started to peter out a little bit compared to the opening 70-35 minutes and then the board went up with eight minutes and both teams were like <laughs> oh god we could win the league tonight almost
1: yeah yeah it's, it was so so strange um I do think you know also what you're touching on like that that Things sitting in their head of being like, oh, you know, we could win the league or whatever. I also think it's always just like both teams are very much like this is Arsenal, this is Chelsea, and there's that sitting in their heads as well. Um, which yep. means I always think these games take on like a totally, you know, different nature. to like, like, say when Chelsea play City in kind of equivalent important games, you know, thinking about like last season when there was basically a title decider then. Um, Chelsea-Arsenal feels like it always just has like a different level of kind of edge and mania to it um, compared to some of the Chelsea-City games because I think just, you know, both teams have experienced so many like ridiculous, ridiculous games. And also I think, you know, both teams have had such longevity with with the players. Um, Like I was looking at, so this is the first time Arsenal haven't lost to Chelsea in in a season since the 2017 Spring Series, when they only had to play each other once anyway. But they they mm-hmm. drew two two. But like that game's so funny. Like the starting centre backs were Lotta Webermoy and Anna Patton. But that game was like <laughs> five years ago. But they were just like eighteen. But it just shows you, like, you know, and, like, Millie Bright scored. Like, so all of these players have just been playing each other for, like, such... I know, actually, neither Patton or Wobbamoy. Like, Patton's obviously at Villa and Wobbamoy was injured. But, like, it just shows you, like, the longevity for, like, so many of these players, I think, in each of these squads and how much that adds to these games.
0: Well, speaking of longevity, we can't stop talking about this game without talking about Leo Williamson and (laughs) that penalty claim at the end of the match. Uh, Firstly, I want to ask you, having been in the stadium... Did you have any kind of inclination as to whether or not it was a penalty at the time?
1: So I totally missed it because I was behind that goal, but on the like opposite post, as it were. So like the diagonal mm-hmm. was like the goal in front of me. Um, but I think I felt like from the reactions of the players on the pitch, like. Sam Kerr was like directly in front of me and she was like literally losing her mind (laughs) um and I like was aware that she would obviously have had like been looking across the kind of six yard box so like I was like well she must have basically had a perfect view um but then I was also like like would you not lose your mind if you had the opportunity to like make that call with um with the three three minutes of injury time to go or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was then when my brother is a big Arsenal fan, when he texted me saying like 100% a penalty, I was like, oh wow, it really must have been, <laughs> must have been a penalty then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't watch it back until until I got out of the ground. And then I was like, ugh. It's... And from a Chelsea perspective, a very, very annoying decision <laughs> to have gone against you.
0: Of course, very, very lucky for Arsenal as well. I think... I I wanted to ask you specifically your reaction to it, having been in the stadium, because I think we hold refs to this standard, or officials to this standard of we're sitting at home watching replays and it's slowed down and all of that. You know, even if you remove the emotion from the situation, it it would take a brave referee to give a penalty they're not 100% sure on in that moment of that game with all of the context surrounding it. You know, I think... With the game in hand, you put Chelsea top of the league basically if you award them a penalty in the in the dying moments of that matchup. And if a ref isn't hundred percent sure, they're not supposed to give a penalty. I think the other question or the bigger question is from across the pitch and the the assistant and how that was missed, maybe with a with a very similar view to the one you described that Sam Kerr had. But ultimately yeah, I don't know, we, we've we spent so much time recently speaking about refereeing decisions in WSL and as long as there is no VAR, these decisions are going to just keep happening over and over again, not even necessarily because of the quality of the refereeing or the officiating, but because those situations are really difficult to judge, you know, from one particular angle at full speed as they happen.
1: Yeah, 100%, I totally agree. And look, normally I'm very much... a uh these kind of things all even up out over the course of a season. I think Chelsea are just very frustrated because the Beth Mead goal at the Emirates was offside. This was a penalty. They probably feel like they should have had a penalty in the City game as well. So I think it's when you start getting like a number of decisions in big games that go against you, like they're the ones that stick in your head more. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, you can't expect people to make these decisions right all the time i also think the time that it happened it like has to have had an impact because i do just wonder if that happens at 60 70 minutes i mean like yeah. we're never going to know how much she saw or how certain she was but if you're 90% certain do you make that decision at 60 minutes but if you're only 90% certain not 100% are you going to make it in the 93rd like those things have to have an influence in some in some senses and that's kind of why it's just unfortunate it it happened when it did um but yeah like look I think from where she's standing, it kind of looks like she's got a clear view, but there could be a player in front of her. And also she's obviously on the opposite side. So you could justifiably think, I don't know, it hit her shoulder or something like that, or that her arm was like naturally there rather than moving up towards the ball, as you can kind of see in the the thing. So there's like plenty, plenty of reasons for it. I'm not a big VAR VAR fan. Like I'm not going to sit here and say like, this is why we need VAR. It will be really frustrating if Chelsea don't win the league as a result of like, those decisions across both Arsenal games, um, but also like sometimes that stuff just happens, and there will be occasions where Chelsea will get calls that will, will go their way as well. By the same token,
0: yeah. If we were also growing up about it, then we wouldn't have to sit through two minute long VAR checks every time we put on a men's game. But never mind. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I also texted a friend on on Friday night, uh, an Arsenal supporting friend. Saying you know, if, imagine now that Arsenal do win the league, and that penalty decision and the and the Beth Mead offside from the first day of the season have both happened against Chelsea. I, <laughs> to sound impartial uh, for a for a second, or no, to to not sound impartial. Sorry for a second, I would be quite interested in Emma Hayes live TV reaction to the <laughs> final day of the season if those two things mean that Chelsea just miss out on the league title but we'll find out about that in a few months.
1: But do you think from a, from an Arsenal perspective because I don't know maybe I'm just being holier than that from a Chelsea perspective but there's also an element that I think it would frustrate me because you also want to like actually genuinely win these
0: games. It, yeah it's not the way that you want to win definitely not. Um, but you'll take it. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll definitely take it yeah like I I wouldn't want Arsenal to or or any team that I'm watching or or any team generally speaking I wouldn't ever want anybody to cheat and but you know it's sort of I, I guess in with these ones when it is somebody else's decision and it's in the referee or the official's control and they haven't given a decision then I can in my own fan brain tie that up with in sort of the, the pot of luck that exists and mm. you know if things hit the post or you get an own goal and things like that and as you say decisions happen all season long Arsenal have had their fair share of, of complaints against Manchester City when a goal was allowed to stand and yeah, against Tottenham when a goal wasn't allowed to stand so yeah these things do happen they do happen to to every team I don't know if they do even out and definitely not when you get two lucky decisions in the same against the same opponent in a season. But yeah, I I don't think anyone wants to win that way, but as long as players aren't deliberately cheating, then I think it's a lot easier to compartmentalize. Chelsea, you mentioned Erin Cuthbert filling in a midfield earlier. She won't be doing that for a while.
1: Yeah. Um... Just you could just see like even with the the strapping on her her leg, you know, because she normally has like um strapping on her knee just generally, but like she fully came out like I don't know, it looked like she had plaster casts on her leg to be honest. Um yeah, and has obviously done her hammy. Um, it just shows like Chelsea's midfield has been. All of Chelsea's squad, really, but the the midfield especially has. It seems funny, like all the conversations I had in the first half of the season was like, "Who do you pick as your ideal midfield?" And now I'm like, "Wow, well, we've basically just got Sophie Ingle and Drew Spence left." <laughs> I mean, thankfully G So Yun's now back, but you know, to have like had G So Yun away for for all of January, lloyd Loipols is obviously out for a who knows amount of time because of long COVID. Erin Cuthbert looks like she won't be playing for a while. Um, fortunately now at least Sam Kerr's back, you think, well, we can play Jesse Fleming in midfield instead. But um yeah, I mean it just shows like we've seen it with City earlier in the season, but like people talk about like City and Chelsea like doing squad building and like holding on to all all these players and you know, in past seasons Chelsea have like been very lucky, I think, with, with injuries, and I think there's just an element of like it's just coming around to like get us in the way it always does. And obviously COVID's like an additional thing that you can't really control from a conditioning perspective or anything like that um but it just shows that even if you do all the squad building in the world like you can still be absolutely like decimated and kind of being forced into um making some very very bizarre decisions it's just unfortunate i think for for Erin because she's actually looked really good in in central midfield and i do wonder if, if it's where she'll kind of end up from a from a chelsea perspective um especially, you know, as, as Sophie Ingle gets, um, you know, kind of maybe like starts to age out the squad. Although, admittedly, I say that every season and she seems to carry on being amazing. So that might never actually happen. Um, but, you know, I think there is kind of a position going for a, you know, more defensively minded, robust midfielder um, within, this, within this Chelsea side that, that maybe currently Ingle's been the only one filling, filling
0: that role. And as for squad building, this is the first time we saw Stina Blacksteady start ahead of Viv Miedema. Not ahead of, in terms of, in place of Viv Miedema, <laughs> but literally ahead of her on the pitch. Miedema played in her preferred, actually, number 10 position. The preferred position she has that she has seemingly never played. Uh, <laughs> what do you, What did you think of their combination and do you, what do you think of that as a way for Arsenal to approach games, especially the bigger games, maybe, for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, I I liked it because I felt like it dealt with a reality around Miedema in big games, which isn't that she's not a big game player, to clarify. It's just that I think teams find it very easy to focus on isolating her within Mm -hmm. big games you know she's a very obvious focal point um you know we saw in the fa cup final that chelsea used basically playing a kind of back three-ish back four but basically just for jess carter to man mark her um you know and i think at points that that stops her from fully getting involved and i thought johnny Liu's piece on this game, uh, and Mida Ma specifically for The Guardian was really interesting, kind of talking about how she's never been really a player who who can take a game by the scruff of the neck. Not in terms of being able to like do something amazing, because she obviously can do that, but she's never really a player who you feel like is g up players around her. But he was kind of saying he didn't he also felt like that didn't happen in this game, but I definitely felt, at least in the first half, her presence in midfield really offered Arsenal a lot because I do think she's a very good, you know, like presser and harrier of the ball. I think it's a a part of her game that's like kind of underrated because of where she normally plays. Like she doesn't do it in, in an obviously effective way when she's like up against two centre-backs, obviously. But I thought that worked out really well. Um, she showed that she could still get her, her shots off. You know, she had two good opportunities in, in that first half. Um, and, you know, obviously we saw against United that... <laughs> Uh, there's plenty she can do from further, further up back in the pitch. And there's also plenty Stinius can do um, when she gets those balls to her. So um, I think it was a really bold decision from Eidervor. I thought it could go potentially very, very south, um, but it didn't. It, it worked out. And, you know, I think you could see that um, Blackstinius didn't have that kind of relationship with, I, I think more so with Ford and Meade than with Meade and Marseille. Yeah. Um, but I think you could see that, like, you know, that was, like, basically her first WSL start, I think. So, like, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely more to come. But um, I liked it in theory. I thought, I thought it worked well.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree completely. And I I wondered, watching the game, if that FA Cup final had something to do with Eideville also then picking what I would probably say is most technically available midfield three in, in Leo Valti, Kim Little and, and Miedemar in front of them. Um, lastly, before we move on, who do you think will be happier with the result?
1: I think, I mean, honestly, both teams can play this, I think. Up to themselves, but I think it will be Arsenal. Um, you know, I know Chelsea are in a position where technically, if they win every game from now to the end of the season, they'll be champions. But I think Arsenal will look at Chelsea's run in and feel like there's games where they'll drop points there. Um, Chelsea have to play Spurs twice, and somehow Spurs are currently in third place. Um, Arsenal have to play them once, but um. You know, I think they'll they'll think there's like opportunity there for Chelsea to drop points and Chelsea have United on the last day of the season, which if the Champions League race is still going on, could make (laughs) and the championship race is still going on, could make it um, a very, very tasty game. Um, The only worry I would have from an Arsenal perspective is I actually think Chelsea having those trickier games is more of a mind focuser for them. Um, and I generally think Chelsea perform better against those kind of sides, those like um, aspirational sides, let's say, who want to kind of have the ball and try and mm-hmm. go to Chelsea. And Chelsea find it very easy normally to take those sides apart. Easier they do than teams who are just going to like play a low block and sit back for the whole game. Um, but yeah, I think Arsenal will probably be the happier because I just think also if they'd lost this, they'd have really felt out of it because I think Chelsea you know would have then had an actual gap on them and kind of been ready to like motor away I think if they had that cushion
0: behind them yeah I, I definitely think that as well you mentioned Tottenham there they were maybe the big winners of the Manchester derby after City beat United would that put City in the driving seat for third for you now
1: Ah, oh, so so annoying um <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, I still kind of think United have looked the best team of the three. Um, I still feel like when I watch City, all of this stuff is more luck than judgment. I mean, yeah, Caroline Weir scoring a goal like that is like a real case in point. <laughs> have um, you ever seen?
0: Have like... you ever seen a player score? I I won't say the the same same goal goal twice, twice. but basically the same goal twice in, I mean, in the space of a year, let alone the space of a career.
1: I've never seen a player score a goal like that twice. Against the same
0: opponent in in, your biggest game of the season as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. It is like, honestly, like poor Mary Earps is like desperately out here, like trying to show that she could be England's number one for the Euros. And then Caroline Wood just comes to mugger off the way she does every <laughs> single year, <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, I I I would like United to finish third just because I think they're the best team of the three. I also wanted United to win because I want them to have it sewn up before they play Chelsea on the last day of the season. Um, but City probably do have the advantage again, just with the matter of, Um I think Spurs I mean I've been saying this in some they won't, but I do think Spurs will fall away with the with the number of games they've got against Chelsea and Arsenal. Um but I don't know. City are just such a strange team. It just like really annoys me that because it doesn't feel like there's any like tactical plan, but then they kind of like do just carry on winning by virtue of their players. I'm like I find I never have much to say about them because I'm like, no. well, the ha- aim of ha- the game ha- is like, just give the ball to hemp or bronze. <laughs> yeah,
0: having good players is often just a really simple way to win a lot of football matches. Uh, yeah, yeah. A Tottenham, for all of their organisation, lack that little bit of star quality maybe. They play uh, mm-hmm. Arsenal, Manchester City and Chelsea all in, in the space of a few weeks in March. So I guess that'll be the break or break period for Spurs. Uh, there was obviously bunch of other results in the WSL this weekend but we're not going to talk about them because we want to talk about the England squad a little bit firstly any surprises for you
1: with the England squad I guess the main one would be Hannah Hampton making the squad over Sandy McIver Um, but that's mainly because Sandy McIver is having like the world's most awful season ever I think she's like bottom of goalkeepers in terms of like uh, post-shot XG models um, so that kind of came as some surprise to me because she's had like a a pretty crazy fall down the, the pecking order you know like two seasons ago we were talking about like this is a player who's going to challenge Ellie Roebuck for the number one spot um, yeah and that fantastic know, FA Cup come. final
0: with yeah with exactly. two of goal
1: yeah and now kind of she's like back in the I think she's joining up with the under 23s um, I don't really know what's going on with her at Everton. I mean, Everton's obviously just, like, a club on fire, Um, but she has been, like, uniquely bad. But I think, you know, with goalkeepers, stuff is so confidence-based that if your club is on fire, you can end up being uniquely bad, especially, you know, defensively. Like, I don't know, like, even thinking from, like, a Chelsea men's perspective, like, the difference between Kepa Arisa Balaga playing behind a Tom Tuchel defence and a Frank Lampard defence just, like, shows you exactly how much, mm-hmm. like, the, how the rest of the team is doing can affect like how well a goal, how good a goalkeeper looks in goal. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I mean, ultimately for the Euros now, it doesn't. We're literally talking about the third, the third choice goalkeeper, and it's going to be um, like Urp or Roebuck for the for the starting spot anyway. But I just thought it was interesting to see how far McIver had kind of fallen down the pecking order.
0: And uh, I, I wanted to talk about who's going to be the England captain in the summer as well. Is Leo Williamson going to hold on to the armband? Do you think?
1: I don't know. I think I wonder if it will be Lucy Bronze, um, but I would quite like it to be Leah. I do think there's a very interesting decision less to make with the captaincy because I feel like, I mean, it's been a bit weird and drawn out because of the injuries to Horton and Bronze, but I think it's like reasonable for Vegman to want to move on. But I think the other thing I wonder is if well she needs to take Horton because she won't play. Horton at centre-back because for me Millie Bright, Alex Greenwood have been like two of the best players in the WSL this season um, and then you've got Williamson who is obviously fantastic um, but by virtue of like missing quite a lot of time this season I can't really feel like I can put her up there in terms of like a, having a really really great season this year but she's obviously you know a very consistent interesting player so for me you've got to then say like Steph Horton just I mean I'd say by virtue of her quality, but also by virtue of the fact that she's hardly played this season, she's injured again, it has to at least be your fourth choice said to back at that point. Um, so yeah, but I do wonder if it will be Lucy Bronze just because of her age, uh, her pedigree, her experience. But it would be cool if yeah. I just think again, like, do you, Lucy Bronze is going to play right back no matter what, right? Like, do, do you what create you like these awkward dynamics? Like, if you pick Leah, are you going to have to play her? Every game. Does that mean you have to not play Millie Bright, say, or not play Kira Walsh to put Leah in midfield? Mm. Like, I don't know. But I'm very intrigued to see how that plays out, especially at this at this camp.
0: Yeah. So this camp is the the, the first ever Arnold Clark Cup England play Canada, Spain, and Germany in the space of about a week. This is this is like a real warm up for the Euros. I mean, uh, Serena Wigman's just had those World Cup qualifiers so far. Really, the only remotely challenging game came against Austria. The only game that was sort of anything close to the sort of challenges that England will face in the summer. How much do you expect this to be a little bit experimental, maybe, with an eye on the summer? Or do you think she already has her ideas on how to play and her line-ups in her head and this is, for her, a test for the Euros that she wants to throw absolutely everything at to see where England are?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. She seems like a kind of manager who will do the former and want to try stuff out, Um I think especially because she hasn't really seen this squad put through any kind of tests. But at the same time, you've got to think, well, psychologically, okay, maybe Canada's side doesn't really matter, but you want to put a good showing on against Spain and Germany, right? Because you don't want to, like, get trounced by them in the name of experimentation when you've literally got to play them, like, potentially play them again in, what, less than six months? Um, so I think there's lots of things in this squad that are already, like, quite firmly nailed down so I'm mainly intrigued into how like she's gonna look at answering some of like the bigger question marks for me like I still have a question like I don't know how you fit Frank Kirby in this team um mm-hmm. and I think it'll be interesting to see if she she's trying to answer that I think unfortunately Fran's in like a pretty poor run of form which I think is a bit of a shame um, because I wonder if she won't look great kind of wherever she's played. Um, And she's never really looked great, I think, in an England side. Um, But I do find that interesting because I don't think you want to play her on the right of a three with the kind of players that England have around her. But then... I don't know how good she looks just as like a pure 10 either. Um, so I'm kind of intrigued by that one. Um, I'm intrigued to see how Ellen White looks against actual good defences because she's looked pretty rubbish this season. Um, to be honest, she should have put the Manchester derby to bed way before Caroline Weir came on to to chip over Mary Ups. And England don't really have an informed goal scorer. Uh, Alessia Russo has looked good at points, but is now playing on the right with Senior Bruin coming into to United. Um England obviously just doesn't really play for, for Chelsea. Um, she wasn't even getting picked um, when Kerr was away and now she's injured. Um, so it really like quite a lot is resting on Ellen White, like showing up for this competition. Unfortunately, Ellen White does like normally show up for international competitions, but I am a bit concerned that maybe that run will end here. Um, so yeah, I think, and I guess the other thing that I find like maybe quite interesting as well is I do think Lauren Hemp will start on the left. But I think, say, if you wanted to put Frank Kirby on the right, there's a bit of a Beth Mead versus Lauren Hemp moment going on there. Also, just because I prefer Beth Mead on the left. Um, And I think this season, generally, Mead has shown herself to be a better finisher than Hemp is. Um, Like, I think finishing is something that is what's stopping Lauren Hemp from being, like, a very, very, very good winger to, like, being, like, a world-beating winger. Um, I don't... When she gets the ball... I feel worried that she'll create a chance for someone else, but I don't worry that she's going to like come inside and, and shoot and score herself. Whereas with Beth Mead, like I just generally feel mm-hmm. sick anyway when she gets the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Hemp will start, but like I do find that like quite an interesting um, thing as well. And I think just what's exciting... Sorry, I feel like I've gone on really long on no, this that's England fine. team. But I think what's exciting is I just feel like for so long, England have just had a set squad. So all these hypotheticals have just been like, you've kind of known deep down what the answer is. Like Samson, Neville, Hegarisa, like they all very apparently like picked who their favourites were immediately. But I think with Wiegmann, like it feels like a blank slate and she feels like she's a clever enough manager to be thinking about these exact things we're talking about. Whereas before I was just like, you just know who's going to play and you know it's going to be awful. Um, So yeah, I'm really looking forward to these games. Um, I'm also just excited to see... Like Spain and Germany, especially, um, because I think they're both really exciting teams, um, and I just really hope England don't get absolutely
0: battered. <laughs> <laughs> no, ahead of the summer, that would be an absolute nightmare. I'm going to put you on the spot. Then we've basically gone through most of it already. Um, let's build an England eleven for these games.
1: Okay, or um,
0: with the summer in mind, but let's take the the squad for these games. So, are you going Mary Earps or Ellie Roebuck in goal?
1: I personally would play Mary Earps just because Ellie Robux played like a handful of games and I actually think she's looked quite rusty. Like she spilled like quite a lot of things, I think, against Chelsea United, which she shouldn't really. And I feel like you should reward Earps for standing in the cold in all those twenty nil games where the ball like <laughs> never came towards her, like I think you need I think Earps deserves an opportunity to play playing to, goal in, in a game that actually kind of matters. Yeah,
0: to play for England and actually look and feel like she's playing for England and not just yeah. got the best view of an England game in the stadium. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've got Lucy Bronze at right back and you've got yeah. Millie Bright definitely at centre-back. And you're not going with Leah Williamson as the other centre-back?
1: No, I think I would have to go Green... I think you have to play Greenwood on the left. Between Bright and Williamson, I feel like kind of agnostic about either one because I like them both a lot as players um and I just wonder if it depends on the kind of games you're who you're playing against, like for example, I think I'd prefer Williamson against Spain, where I feel like you're gonna have to um play the ball kind of like quickly accurately uh out deal the back. with a lot of um, pressure yeah exactly what but like a game like Canada I'd maybe prefer someone like Millie Bright who's going to offer you just like kind of that extra level of like robustness in in defence as well um so I think I would like to see maybe those kind of like different options for each time but I think you've just got to play Greenwood as the left-sided centre-back because I think she's been like absolutely immense for City this season in like a really tricky situation and i just think you know she's got everything um i think her distribution's fantastic i i think she's very good defensively um she's great from dead balls uh, she's left-footed like I, I just don't see why you wouldn't like if you've got that option there why you wouldn't want to use it i,
0: I guess the natural question from that is does leah williamson get into your midfield which is probably all of these options we talk about that's probably the one area where england haven't had somebody come through in the last few years that looks like yeah they're definitely going to play in that position for England for the next 10 years there's a lot of attacking midfielders but sort of people who will I don't know control the middle of the pitch and and be a bit more defensive minded
1: yeah it's it's a tricky one isn't it you've kind of got this like Walsh versus Williamson which is kind of funny because they're like really good friends as well um yeah, I think it depends. Uh, but would, I you, I would...
0: would you not consider playing both in those bigger matches? Well,
1: th- this is what I was going to say. You know, like do you, if you play like a double pivot, but I just don't know if you'd want, if you were going to do that, would you maybe want someone who was a bit more Georgia Stanway esque to like go alongside one of them? Like, mm-hmm. I, are they not like maybe a bit too similar to play next to each other? It's really tricky. Um, I think I would like to see it because it it's hard for me to figure out. Because I think when we talk about Leah Williamson in midfield, you're thinking about like, yeah, like her ability on the ball and all that kind of thing. But obviously, she is still the centre back. So she does <laughs> offer you some kind of like defensive robustness. But I feel like my mind gets so drawn to being like, oh, it's Leah Williamson in midfield. She won't do that. That I don't really like know. Yeah, she's not a.
0: Bruising centre half that that you're expecting to sort of steam into tackles in the middle of the pitch, even if she she will win the ball plenty.
1: Yeah, so that's why I guess I can't really figure out. And maybe the answer is you just if you if you think you need that protection, maybe will it, it's just will it better to play Williamson ahead of Walsh, so you've kind of got it all. That's I think my question about playing both of them is, and I think this is why I prefer the four three three. Is because I think because England have so many good attacking players and there's not an obvious double pivot midfield. I guess the only player who you'd maybe say would would go in there with one of them is maybe Katie Zellum because she obviously plays there at United. Mm, But I don't (laughs) love it. Personally. With
0: just one England cap to, to her name at the moment, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, It would be a hell of a shout right ahead of the Euros. And then you've got 35-year-old Jill Scott still hanging around in the squad who I think...
1: I mean, I love Jill Scott. So
0: I personally
1: <laughs> yeah. would consider starting Jill Scott <laughs> in the Euros because I think she's fantastic.
0: Yeah, Um a game every three days might be a little bit much for Jill now, I think. Yeah. Possibly. I think you
1: can swap if you're gonna play the three in midfield, you can swap Jill and Georgia for that right sided um like eight position. Because I like them both there a lot. So um, let's say
0: let's say you're going with the four through three. You've got yeah Jill Scott, Jordan Knobbs, maybe Frank Kirby, uh Georgia Stanway to fill your other two gaps in the midfield. Who are you going with?
1: So this is then my problem if I get I've I've thought about this a lot, as you can tell. This is then my problem if you do play, because I don't know who goes as the left sided eight. Um I think you go with Scott or Stanway on the right. Um Stanway did play on the left for for City in the in the derby. Um, but I think she's better on in that right sided position. So maybe you look at like a Frank Kirby or an Ella Toon. Um I think I'd probably prefer Toon there than than Fran Kirby. Um, but maybe you look at a player who because Scott and Stanway, like, are are both like Um Scott is strong defensively. Stanway can have her moments, but I think she's strong defensively when she's in midfield. Like, I don't think she's strong defensively when she's randomly played at fullback or centre back. Um so maybe you do go with a player like Kirby or Toon who's gonna have that license to kind of step forward a bit more. Um but I think Toon looks better in that kind of role than than Kirby does.
0: See, I was saving Ella Toon for, for my front three. But oh, interesting. If not, then where are we going with the front three? So you've got Frank Kirby, you've got Ellen White by default up front. <laughs> and then you've got, if, if presumably Frank Kirby's there for no, you.
1: No, I'm going to drop Fran. Okay, I'm going to so go Frank with him,
0: White England Or England career and the question of how to fit her in counts against her more than all of the wonderful things we've seen for Chelsea over the years?
1: I think so. Just because I think, you know, like, I think, again, as well, too much in the past, like, England have tried to fit, like, every great player into a team. (sighs) And that's not how international football works. Like, it's not fantasy football. Um, I would... Again, this is just like this is why the Arnold Clark Cup will be interesting because I hope we get to see Kirby start and play and see where those options are. But if the Euro started tomorrow, I would not feel convinced that she was going to be effective in on like the right side of that attacking lineup Mm -hmm. in a way that say Hemp White and well leaving Whiteside I guess because she's kind of the only option but like Hemp and Mead would be and again like Beth Mead like has been in ridiculous England form in the same way she had ridiculous Arsenal form at the start of the season um I think she's kind of tailed off but again I feel like you kind of have to reward players who've kind of stopped you from drawing 0-0 against Northern Ireland at Wembley (laughs) like those things have to count for something (laughs) in my opinion um and like look like having Frank Kirby on your bench is like a pretty awesome option you know if you're defending a lead and you want to just be able to sit back and counter-attack like to bring on frank herby's legs at 20 minutes that's like no bad thing
0: so no frank Herbie for england there you go because <laughs> be- because we're playing right so so me my idea was i would I, I i back the the goal scoring ability around the front three so much to not have a an obvious centre forward so based on this season I don't think oh, Ellen White would be in my England team anymore and and that's where I would play Ella Toon uh, you wouldn't so you'd have Ellen White and Beth Mead and Lauren Hamp. right so is that 11 winning the Euros mm. I don't know I now. honestly
1: don't know yeah the, the option to play this and this again is like what other option would be, which I think could be fun, is if you think if you say, okay, Walsh and Williamson do have everything that we need in a midfield, you play them as a double pivot, and then I think you put Kirby as the 10 behind yeah. that front three. And I think that's fun as well. Like I I think both those formations work. I just think if if it plays four through three, I I don't love I, I just think Ellen White is not the kind of player Sam Kerr is and that's why it doesn't work with yep. Kirby. Maybe if you play Russo in the number nine role and Kirby and Rousseau dovetail, maybe there's something there, but I think I, you have to, in this England squad play Fran at 10, if you're going to play Ellen White at nine.
0: See, I, I thought I was going to get support from you on my priority <laughs> <going to England laughs> would be find a way to make Fran Kirby work. Um, and, and I thought that was going to be yours as well, but obviously not.
1: I'm too scarred maybe at this point. Um, I would love it to happen, obviously. Um, and again, I would love to like see some of that tried tried right now, but I'm going with you know if the euros are tomorrow and we don't have time to try anything out
0: anymore. Jesse, it's been a pleasure. thanks so much for joining us. Where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Jesse Jph. Thank you for having me.
0: No, thank you.